Hello, and welcome to Canada Reads American Style. This is Shauna. And I'm Rebecca. And we want to welcome you to a special uh, podcast in that Shauna and I are not sitting in the same place. We are obviously, uh, we're in Michigan and we're on lockdown uh, because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So, but the podcast, you know, carries on despite the uh, pandemic. And today we'll be talking about our fifth book, fifth and final book for Canada Reads 2020, which is Small Game Hunting at the Local Coward Gun Club by Megan Gale Coles. And as we all know, the competition has been suspended because of the pandemic. So we're not sure when it will actually take place, the competition, but we thought it's time to Go ahead and get the fifth book reviewed, right, Shauna? Yeah. Well, and one of the things that I think this is really giving people an opportunity to finish up whatever books that they had before the competition is going to start. Because I, I always wonder, you know, once the competition was going to end, would you have finished those books or not? And uh, I see on the Facebook page a lot for Canada Reads that people are like, oh, I'm on the fourth book or they're working, they're still working through the books, and it's so great to see that. Yeah, because I think what's happened is people couldn't necessarily get their books from their public library because the waiting lists were so long. Uh, so it has given people a chance to, or maybe even as ebooks, but it's given them a chance to uh, catch up a little bit. Not, not that anyone wanted this <laughs> situation to be able to catch up, but it has afforded us that opportunity. I do have to tell you that this is a spoiler announcement. If you have not read the book yet, please press pause and continue on reading your book. Or if you want to listen to what we have to say, go ahead and keep on listening. And just a reminder also that the this year's theme for Canada Reads 2020 is one book to bring Canada into focus. I think I'm going to let Shauna go first because she just finished the book. And I had to go back and go over my notes again just to remember. It's been a few weeks since I finished it. We'll let Shauna go first with her. Impre- well, actually, I forgot. We're, we're going to do our rating scale. Yeah, it's a little scale that's a, a scale of 1 to 10. It's a number of topics. We just assign them the numbers, and then we jump right into the discussion. So, all right. So for quality of writing, uh, what would you give it? I gave it a 4. Okay, I gave it a 9. Pace? 3. Dang, you really don't like it. I gave it a nine. But I will have to say, the, not the very beginning. <laughs> Plot development. Three. I gave it a seven. Characters. Nine. I gave it a ten. Enjoyability. Three. Okay, I gave it a ten. And insightfulness. Four. And I gave it a ten. This is, I think, the book that we are, that we have the widest divergence of opinion here. And then uh, ease of reading. Two. I gave it a six. So I do think it's difficult to read. But and then of course it doesn't have any photos or illustrations, so that's not applicable. So go ahead and uh, let you get started. <laughs> well, I have to tell you the very first thing. Overall, the story wasn't bad. I'm not going to lie about that part. But the thing that I hated the most was that there is no quotes around the dialogue, and It is so difficult, especially if there's more than two people in a conversation, like when it's between 
George and Iris and John, and all three of them at the end are talking about, oh, do this, do this, do this. I'm sorry, who the fuck's saying what? So, I just hate that there are no quotations. It's To me, it's like, oh, you know what? I don't want to pay the extra ink to put a couple of lines around some words and be able to say who's saying what. And it's actually the reason why I did not read Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale, especially because it was so difficult to understand with all the different characters. I actually had to switch to audio in order to be able to read the book. And I actually really enjoyed it when I listened to it in audio format instead of trying to differentiate between who's saying what, doing what, based on this lower amount of punctuation. I, okay, and I don't think it's necessarily quotation marks as much as it's like said, she said or John said or something like that, right? Not necessarily the actual quote. Like, it's not just that. In other words, it's not a visual thing where there weren't quotation marks. It's literally that you didn't know it was like blah, 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 John said, right? Well, I had to, like, if you reread it slowly, she does notate who's speaking to who based on what's being said in the text. But quotations are such a visual clue to, you know, it's a transition in your mind from, okay, here's a narrative to the difference between narrative text and dialogue text. Okay. I, that's why I just wanted to clarify what is it? Yeah, what was it that, that, that was the problem? Because for me, um, I've had other books like that where I've been confused and I couldn't tell who said what in the conversation, but this wasn't one of them. In fact, I when you said to me, I don't know, a week ago or so, that he didn't have quotation marks, I said it didn't, and I went back and looked. So it that was never, it wasn't a visual issue for me, and it wasn't difficult for me to understand who was saying what, and it wasn't a barrier for me. So it's kind of interesting, because it, because I will say that in the, it, it was difficult, I thought the writing in the beginning was difficult to grasp, and that may have been why, and I wasn't even necessarily aware of why I was struggling at the very beginning. I'm also not sure if I struggled at the beginning because everybody I read, everyone's comments in advance that I read, they were all saying it's hard to get into the first 50 pages or so. And I, so I'm not sure if I was influenced by that or not, but, and I, and I also, well, I will say this. I don't know that that was it as much as it was my fifth book. I was staying on pace so that I could finish before the competition and I did. And so it could have just been sort of just exhaustion by the time I got and because this was the bigger book, this was the tough, tougher, right. you know, read. So I'm not sure exactly why, but it didn't, once I got into the story of it, I didn't, it was, nothing really was a barrier because then I just couldn't put it down. Right. Well, and you know, I'm curious because I remember before we had the, the stay home orders, you were telling me, oh, I had this prolific moment in this book and I can't wait to tell you. And then, of course, I finally get through the book and I'm like, I don't know. This, I mean, the theme of Canada Reads is one book to bring Canada into focus. And my thing is, like, everything she describes, that's like, it's like everyday life. So you're just bringing everyday life into focus? I, when you say it, you don't know how it brings Canada into focus. I think it's, I mean, this is the other thing that people talked about, too, is is the rhythm of the language, which we as Americans may not necessarily grasp because we don't know the Newfoundland accent uh, the way others 
might. And so I think everybody who has read it and who, who knows that and recognizes that has said that's the rhythm of the book. So to them, I think it's very Canadian in that sense, whereas to us, maybe it, it doesn't fall into place for us as, in the same way. However, the language is different. And so I, I kind of was saying to myself, it's the same as if I were reading a book set in the South. I would hear that voice in my head while I was reading it. And so it would make sense to me. So I think that this book really clearly brings Canada into focus in the sense that people who are reading it are probably hearing that voice. I just think it's something that we wouldn't necessarily recognize. I did watch a lot of Letterkenny in order to be prepared for the language of this book. So, I mean, okay. I feel like I did a little bit of research in regards to the language aspect of reading it. The only thing I really did was I heard interviews with uh, Megan Gale Coles. And when I heard her accent, there were a couple of times when I first heard her, it, it didn't really, I, I don't think she said that much. So it didn't really catch on for me right away. And then I heard a longer interview with her and I was like, oh, wow, now I really can hear that accent. And so um, then I thought, I still can't translate that into me reading the book and hearing it, but it just made me realize that this book was written with a language that was a very strong, you know, very strong language, very strong accent. So anyway, but no, the, a couple of lines that I just wanted to mention that just like when she said it, it just, it just uh, struck me. And I, cause it was just, I don't know. And we'll get into more of it in a minute here, but on page 99, it's, Iris talking about just how fucked up she is, really. <laughs> so she says her body was built for fucking, but her heart was not. And I thought that encompassed Iris in such a way that made me know her. The minute that I read that sentence, I thought, oh, my God, I know Iris. Because I have known a lot of women <laughs> who have been in similar situations, whether it's me personally or me with my friends or whatever, or just reading about women's experiences in relationships, like relationships that are going nowhere. And boy, I'll tell you what, that just, I just, I just felt like that made me know Iris instantly. And so, and that was on page 99. So the rest of the book, I just had her, I just had her in my heart. I had her in my mind the whole time I was reading it. So I love that line. And then the other line that really struck me because so now it's like 200, almost 200 pages later on page 279. When Olive was going through that rape, gang rape, she said, you like that, hey, say you like it, say it. And so she did. She pretended she liked it because objecting did not seem a realistic course of action. This is why Calv had brought her here. This is what she was here for. Olive's body was built for fucking. And I thought, wow. So here you have the line where it says, Iris's body was built for fucking, but her heart wasn't. And then you have Olive's body was built for fucking. And it was just a way of, to me, really describing women's experiences in a really deep and meaningful way and a painful way. And I think that's why the book why I absolutely love this book, because I think, you know, it's really funny. There's that phrase that everybody always says something like, um, you know, you never know, be kind to people because you never know what pain they're going through or experiencing or something like that. I can't think of the exact quote. 
And what I realized, because I read a lot of nonfiction or I read a lot of people's comments and social media and stuff and heartfelt things that people tell about themselves. And I think everyone is fucked up on some level. And women, especially in this culture, are fucked up because you can't be beautiful enough. You can't be thin enough. You can't be white enough. You can't be feminine enough. You can't be enough of anything. And we say that, but I think this book shows that that's true and that women, because every woman in this book, even George, who fell in love with a man who was an asshole and a jerk and who she supported and did everything she could for him. And he screwed her over time and time and time again. I thought it had like every woman's life experience. And this isn't just random women here or there. I think most women can identify with some woman in this book. I really do. Anyway, I've talked long enough. Go ahead. Well, and that's one of the reasons why I gave characters such a high rating was because the characters are well developed in this in this book, along with their stories and how they have to how they have to handle life and go about all of that. So, you know, I think that the viewpoints of each of the characters is one of the biggest fundamental pieces that made me finish the story, especially trying to figure out, you know, A, how is everybody connected? And B, what is the premise of the story? What's actually going to happen? And so when Iris actually walks out at the end and something actually happens, that's the moment where I was the most, most joyful or glad because I'm like, I am so happy that this character has decided to do something instead of wallowing or being indecisive about the position that she's in. Now, we don't know that much about any of the other characters about whether they're going to stay in the positions that they're at, but at least Iris has, was able to stand up for herself and, um, and do what she needed to do. The thing that I was a little unclear about at the end was whether Iris dies or not. Oh, no, I don't think so. No. No? Okay. No, because you, you kind of said that, you kind of said that, and I reread it. It just, no, because I think what was really beautiful is, I, I do think that, that thing where she says, I can't even remember what page it's on, where she basically says, I'm done, I'm, I'm going to live my life, I'm going to, it was this really hopeful, really grace-filled moment where she was reclaiming who she needed to be, to be healthy and to be herself and to move forward, which is amazing. And I don't think the author would have had her make all of those, make that strong of a stand if she wasn't going to survive. And so she also acknowledges and accepts all Olive as her sister. And the two of them are together at the end. And, and I think, and it just says Olive, hold, Olive holds Iris's pale hand between her same but darker hands and she doesn't let go and she doesn't leave olive stays and i still think that it's that you know everything that olive had been through which was beyond traumatic she had she had that bond with her sister so again i don't it, to me it's a it's a it's a beautiful hopeful ending that these two women are going to have better lives they're they're connected to one another they're going to move forward 
Olive kind of accepts her sister, even though her sister rejected her earlier, you know? And so I, that's why I think it's just very hopeful. You know, Iris made her statement. Olive makes the statement that she's going to stay and really kind of embrace Iris, even though Iris rejected her at another time in the past. So anyway, so I thought it's really, you know, positive and hopeful. Do you feel that the guys in the story or the gay, like, because this, this story had homophobia in it. It had LGBTQ stuff going on. And, I mean, there was a lot of kind of civil, humanitarian, and domestic type things. Do you, how do you feel the men were treated in the story? That was kind of a question I had about the men, because I think I'm going to go on the Canada Reads Facebook page and ask what men thought of about, about the book, because I don't think there were, I was, I wrote all the names of the, all the characters down and I was just kind of going over them. And I don't think there's any man that comes out looking good in, in any way, really. And the one who almost makes me the angriest, because we know there are assholes in the world who rape women and, and men who, who cheat on their wives with girlfriends that they have no intention of ever you know, marrying or, you know, leaving their wives for. But the one that made me the angriest was Calv because he took, I, he took Olive to that event, that, that party when she thought it was a date. And then he walked away. You know what I mean? Like he left her there and he knew, especially because Roger actually assaulted Calvin's sister and he still remained friends with him. So I think that his character was really interesting to me because we know a lot of men behave badly. Well, I don't say a lot. Many, some men, some men behave badly, right? But it's the ones that don't speak up and that they, that they, they watch it happen and they just look the other way and they're friends with guys who behave this way, whether they're, you know, homophobic or racist or misogynistic. It's the ones who be, remain friends with guys like that. Those are the ones I have the most trouble with, honestly, because I know people are going to be raised to be really bad, evil people at times. But it's, you know, it's that old phrase about when good men do nothing, blah, blah, blah. So that is one of the characters I had the biggest issue with. But I mean, I don't think any of the men came out looking. I mean, I think they were real unfortunately realistic but i don't think any of them came out looking good what do you think yeah i have to say that there are moments of of hope especially when you get the extreme of conscience and you know they're thinking about doing the good the right and good thing but they end up choosing not to but which men but which but which men what what i mean what man comes out looking even with hopeful i mean looking hopeful well well Cal, he he goes back and forth about thinking about his sister and the girlfriend and, you know, what they think and then what his friends think, but he still does what his friends would do. Yeah, but I mean, that's what, that's the issue I have with him is that, I mean, it's not like, uh, you know, somebody bumped into his sister, somebody assaulted his sister or Roger assaulted his sister and then he left Olive to be raped. You know what I mean? So to me, I mean, that's the one I just can't get over, is that character. 
that one is the most evil one to me because he he always had it within him to at the very least walk away because his sister was so offended by his friendship with Roger, his ongoing friendship, that there were times when she sort of, you know, said it out loud and he felt embarrassed by it. You know what I mean? And I think, really, asshole, you're embarrassed that your sister is trying to tell the world that this guy is bad and you're going to stand by the guy, your friend. So that that's why I say that one I struggled with. And I was just looking at the other men in the story because, you know, there's obviously John who cheated on his wife. There's Calvin, that one. Then there's Damien, the waiter, who he's the one that saw Olive come out of the hotel after she had been assaulted or raped, gang raped. And then there was Major David, Major David, who was, oh, my God, like. I could have taken one of those. What are those? What are those big arrow things that, you know, you could shoot at things like what do you call those big arrow? You know, it's like a bow, not a bow and arrow, but a. Oh, I can't think of those weapons. I'd like to have shot him with one is actually what I'd like to do. That character, I hated him so much. And then Ben, the bartender, who really had a crush on Iris, which I felt kind of bad for him. But those are really the male characters in the book. Damien goes back and forth about whether he should do, like, his boyfriend broke up with him because he didn't do anything. And so, I mean, him going back and forth about whether he should do it or not, I know it was one of the things. Yeah, and and he and he had a he had an alcohol issue. So, and that's why to me, I I felt like, you know, I think one of your complaints was that like all of this happened and all of this you know happened in one night. But here's my take on that. I looked at it kind of backwards a little bit, which is there was this catastrophic storm, and all the players because. You know, any one night, a whole bunch of people with interconnected stories could be in the same place at one time. And it was almost like, okay, this event happened, and now we're going to go back and explain how all of these characters are interconnected to one another, which then makes the story for me make complete sense. Because it was, like I said, at the beginning, it was sort of like when I first read that it was all happened during a snowstorm on one evening, I kept going, well, the whole book, that's not true. It doesn't really happen till the end. But when I kind of looked at it a different way, I thought, oh, so this thing happened, but here's how all of it is interconnected to this one night and this, these things that happen, this, these events that take place. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Um, I'm not sure because like I've gone into the book knowing that like you told me that there's a lot of flashbacks and that you find out later in the story about like it's the winter storms and so forth. So, I mean, I kind of always knew the timeline as I was reading. Yeah. And I, and I don't know that I, I don't know that I knew that before I read it. I think I read it. I think I read it. I think like some point in the middle of the book, I, that's when I read that it was, it happened one night during a snowstorm and I kept going like, well, when is it? When does it happen? So anyway. Because that's, I don't know if it's just because I read it as an ebook, or because I don't know what the transitions look like in the book book. But, you know, typically there are visual clues to say whether you're going into the past or the present or the future. Um, sometimes there's a date or something notated. But, and I remember we were discussing this in my office, I think, 
just because we haven't we haven't had the opportunity to discuss this book as much as we have other books. So, because typically we will talk probably a good four-ish hours if you accumulate all the time. Oh, probably four-ish hours about each of the books before we even do our podcast review. The the delineations in the book um, it's in three sections. The first section is prep. So obviously the morning of the uh, getting ready for that morning, which I'm still going to go back and look at because I don't think I just don't get that sense that we're in present, like in the present. Sometimes when I'm reading the book, I felt like it was a mostly flashback. But and then there's lunch. The second section is lunch. And then obviously the final section is dinner. So it's broken into sort of three sections. But there's nothing that really like I didn't even necessarily realize it was broken into that. I think until I got to dinner, I was like, oh, there are sections here. <laughs> so but I often I said before, I often miss uh, like chapter headings and things like that. So oh, I think the only reason why I say that is the book I'm reading right now it tells you the name of the person before it goes into their narrative. Right. I it just dawned, dawned on me, because I'm even listening to that as an audiobook, that the, the person who's narrating will say that person's name and then go into their story. So it's, it's interesting the, the choices that made throughout. But, no, I am I'm ready to give it a rating if you are. Okay, well, I'll let you go first because yours is going to be lower than mine. So we'll end mine on a we'll end on a happier note when I give mine. <laughs> uh, yeah, I gave it a three. It was pretty on par with we have always been here. Yeah, I actually uh, no big surprise here. I gave it a five. So I and it's funny too because I think that I you know I think if the competition had taken place when it was supposed to, I really believe that From the Ashes would win. But I think now, <laughs> uh, I think more people will have gotten through this book. So I think it could give it a little competition. But I also think the bigger competition is going to be radicalized because everybody's talking about that last novella in Radicalized and how uh, eerily similar it is to the experiences that we're all going through right now. So anyway, uh, I don't know. I think, it, you know, if, if the competition takes place this year, because who knows when it will happen, because I think, you know, the United States, you know, we have more cases. We've kind of blown up uh, more cases than anywhere in the world. But I think Canada is just behind us because they've had their own issues. So I don't know when this competition will take place this year, but I do think it'll be a wild and woolly one because I don't I think the field is more wide open the longer we wait. So I don't know. We'll see. If you'd like us to continue providing great content like this, please rate, review, like, share, comment, and tell all your friends about Canada Reads American Style. Goodbye.